us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey there, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast. The podcast where we... Wait, what was that? The podcast where we <laughs> we talk about the intersection of trading, markets, and life. So what do you think, dear listener? What is that that is being poured into a cold glass? What is that? Is it iced tea? Is it soda? Is it some sort of grain and hop-based drink? I'll tell you, back in deep lockdown in the COVID days, I would say mid-2020, I found myself drinking way more than I should. I don't know how it snuck up on me. I guess it was because of boredom, but I would have like two or three IPAs a week and goddamn, those things are like 7% alcohol and it was like, ugh. And I didn't even realize it. And towards the end of 2020, I just said, you know what? I got to change things. I, I'm I was 53 back then, uh, 52, and it was like, this is not good for me. It was just sluggish and whatever. So I've mostly uh, cut alcohol out of my life. Um, special occasions, you know, we had some people over here 4th of July. And usually Saturday, that's when I'll indulge, have two, you know, big deal. But every now and then at the end of a week, um, on a Friday, especially when I'm about ready to do the podcast, it just sounds so good. So I, I'm treating myself to a a India Pale Whale from Harlan Brewing. It's a great brewery down in San Diego. Uh, one of the reasons I like it is because it is only 6.5 ABV, uh, which is a little bit lower for a IPA, but it's still hoppy. So I get that good mouthfeel. So hang, hang on two seconds here. Hmm. Oh boy, that is the stuff. All right, so I can't remember if I said this or not. Episode 15, I still don't know where this podcast is going. For those of you that are listening, thank you so much. I don't know if it's going to go more hardcore trading. I don't know if it's going to stay trading intersection of life markets. I don't know if it's going to go just more life, you know, like a audio version of the antidote, uh, or if it's going to go away. I just don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if I enjoy it or I don't enjoy it. I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, but it's so hard to be objective with yourself. So if you have any feedback on the podcast, uh, hit me up. Just let me know. Just say you suck ass. Say I like it, but it's too long, too short. Um, just give me a little bit of feedback. You can hit me up at brian at thelunloop.com. Today's podcast is entitled What If? So I want to talk about some what if scenarios around the markets and the economy. First, let's have a little context. So growing up, I was always a contrarian, always a contrarian. But what I didn't realize at the time was I was a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. I just liked to take the opposite position. It wasn't because I had any better information, better insights, better instincts or intelligence. In fact, it was quite the opposite. I usually took the opposite position because I didn't understand something. So I tended to shit on it as a really, it's a part of my, um, my younger persona that I really, I, I shouldn't say I'm not proud of because 
I was a kid. What did I know? You know, it took years of therapy to figure these things out, but it's not something that I look back on fondness that I just dismiss things and people and ideas out of, um, ignorance or because, uh, I was scared. And I don't know why I didn't, I, maybe I felt threatened by things. Hard to say. Anyway, I'm much more enlightened now. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite stories to illustrate what an idiot I was is this is sometime in 1992. I've told this story before, but I had a, I had a business and um, I ran the business and I used to trade from my desk and I would, you know, get on the new hot thing, which was the internet. And I would bop around and check out stuff. And I remember searching on the internet. I remember thinking to myself, what can I find on this new massive encyclopedia, this digital encyclopedia? So I started Googling, or it wasn't even Google back then. I think it was Alta Vista, something like that. I started searching for things from my youth. You know those products or toys or commercials or movies that before the internet existed were lost to time? You'd see that, like, remember the banana splits, the banana split show? For most of my adult life, I was like, did I dream that show? Did I dr was that some psychedelic dream that I had? Was I on peyote when I was eight? Because I had this memory of this crazy show with, you know, uh, I can't remember their names, Beagle, Fleagle, Flipper, Snork, whatever, running around some amusement park. I didn't even know where this was. But then it went off the air and in a world of six channels and no internet and no other way to access this, I'm like, I, I, did that really happen? And so when the internet came back around, I would search for all these different things and go, okay, I wasn't psychotic. You know, I wasn't on some weird trip. One of the things I searched for was wacky packages. I don't know if any of you remember those, but I was in love with wacky packages, wacky stickers, wacky packs, whatever you want to call them. And they were these stickers that were takeoffs on popular products. So instead of, um, let's see, instead of Sara Lee, uh, the frozen pie, Sara Lee, frozen cherry pie, it was Scary Lee, right? And it was vampire's favorite pie. Uh, or it was, um, instead of, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on what some of them were, but um, instead of, uh, six up or sorry, seven up, it was six up or Pepsi was Pupsy. It's just stupid, crazy takeoffs on consumer products. And I loved it. I just, everything, I don't know what it was, everything about it I loved. And I, I tried to collect them. And uh, anyway, so I thought, well, I'll get on the internet and search if these things exist, if I can find them. And sure enough, I found some guy selling these wacky stickers. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And it was on this little online bulletin board type thing. So I was reading about this, like, how does this happen? Because this, this was way before uh, PayPal or Square or, you know, any of these online payment systems. And it was, well, he offers a price. You agree to the price. You send him a check or a cashier's check or a money order or cash. And once he gets it, he sends the wacky stickers to you. And I remember cracking up. I remember laughing. I called my friend, my best friend. I said, you'll never believe what I just found. There is this website where these people are offering stuff for sale and some idiots are sending them money, expecting them to actually send them the goods. This is like the biggest scam. I can't believe anybody would fall for this. What a bunch of idiots. The name, oh, the name of the site, it's called eBay. <laughs> eBay, 
What a stupid name, eBay, right? So I didn't quite have the vision to see where eBay was going, and I was contrarian, so I shit all over it. As I got older, I've learned to temper that auto-contrarian attitude, but more significantly, I've learned to understand that contrarian bets actually work at extremes. So if you can marry a contrarian approach or uh, a contrarian um, bet based upon data or what's happening, so like on extremes, then you can get paid off. Um, The time to get out of something is when it's white hot. The time to get into something is when nobody cares about it. Of course, that cuts both ways because if nobody cares about it now, maybe nobody ever will. So you have to do the what if. This week I was on a Spaces with my buddy Joe Fahmy. We had 8,500 people come into that space. I was shocked. A lot of people were dropping some serious knowledge. Now, I don't know how much of that knowledge was valid, but instead of just trying to shit on it, I'm trying to keep an open mind and I'm trying to factor in what I've learned about extremes about extremes of buying and selling, about extremes of human behavior. And so I'm asking myself, what if? All right, so for example, somebody talked about used cars. Now remember a few months back, maybe six months back, when you couldn't get a used car? I had a friend that bought a Kia as a a used car. He got a call from the Kia dealership three months after he bought it, offering him $10,000 over the price they paid for it. That's a crazy extreme. And remember you saw it in all the newspapers. Used cars are super expensive, you can't get them. Somebody on the spaces was saying, you know what the biggest thing that used car dealerships are buying right now? Land. They have a need for land, so they have someplace to put all the used cars that are now coming back on the market. All those cars that were paid for with stimulus money, all those money or all those cars that were overpaid for. He said, cars, boats, Ferraris, all these things are coming back to the dealers with one or two payments on them. And they're going to be unloading them in mass over the next six months. He said, you're going to see the biggest glut of used cars ever. So, you know, normally I'm like, eh, really? But I'm doing the what if. Okay. And it kind of makes sense, right? You had this crazy extreme of you couldn't get any used cars. They were super expensive. That can't last very long. So what if this is correct? What if we're about ready to see a glut in used cars? Remember the great resignation? Remember when everybody was quitting their job? Remember when there were such a tight labor market and people could just name their price and choose if they wanted to work here or there? Well, now I'm hearing a lot from my friends about hiring freezes, about freezes on non-essential travel, about rescinding offers. Okay, so what if we had this extreme, right? This this distorted market where people could just name their price and quit jobs that were perfectly good to get a higher paid job. What if the pendulum's going back the other way now? What if we're gonna see these mass unemployments? Driving around Orange County the last two weeks, I've seen all these for sale signs, which I haven't seen the last three, four years. The way it works in Orange County is realtors come into their office meeting Monday morning. They stand up and tell you what properties they have for sale and their colleagues 
say bot, 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 because they already have people to buy them. They never even get to the point where they're going to put signs up. That's an extreme. People were, you know, selling houses for ridiculous amounts of money. All right. What if, what if all this glut of inventory comes back on the market? So used cars flood the market. Uh, people are out of work. Housing prices crash. What about all the populism and social justice causes that have been so hot over the past couple of years? Now, all of those flared up in good economic times. What happens if they do the same in bad economic times? So what if we have all of these economic and social unrest factors that unfold at the same time? There's a lot of what ifs there. And a lot of things that I say to myself, that would never happen in a million years or certainly wouldn't happen in America. Look, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. At the end of the day, I'm optimistic. I think that market forces always kind of keep us in the middle at some point. We get to these, you know, swings on both ends. The pendulums get out of whack, but they always come back. Like I remember in the 80s when the Japanese were buying up so much land in the United States. They bought Rockefeller Center. There was like a park in Japan that apparently the, the value of that land was worth more than like Central Park in New York. These ridiculous extremes. Yet the pendulum came back, right? The, the Japanese market crashed and hasn't been back to the highest since. So I think that market forces always bring things back into the middle. Somebody on the spaces was talking about Germany and Europe and how they're in a bad spot right now in terms of energy because they've been so reliant on Russian oil and natural gas and they've decommissioned all their coal power plants and they've tried to go to solar and wind, which, you know, depends on whether the sun's out or whether there's wind and they're in a bad spot right now. And he was saying that's going to be a huge problem. Yeah, it is going to be a huge problem. But you know what? Maybe that forces people to think, rethink nuclear energy. France is doing great. They've been with nuclear power plants forever. Out here in California, they've been trying to decommission nuclear power plants since I can remember. The last one at Diablo Canyon is, is set to go offline, I think, in two or three years. Guess what? All the environmentalists, all the left-leaning politicians in California are now fighting to keep it open because they've realized, oh, wait a minute, this is the cleanest form of energy. Oh, it's way safer than it used to be. The U.S. government just put out $6 billion to different agencies to figure out how they can extend the lives of existing nuclear power plants in the United States. They put $2 billion towards studying how we can build newer, safer power plants. Once again, the pendulum goes out of whack, you get a contrarian attitude, you get market forces, something good comes out of it. Hey, maybe we've solved the carbon footprint issue for generations to come. So I'm an optimistic guy. But let's just think about the what if, okay? What if we go into a recession? What if we have massive unemployment? What if people get thrown out of their houses? What if there is complete unrest, both economic and social, in the streets. And what if, during all of this, the market takes off like a bat out of hell? What if? 
Because remember when we were in COVID and remember when everything was going to shut down and this was it and life was going to change and we were never going to be the same? How many people listening to this thought that we would rocket ship out of those lows to new highs? I certainly didn't. And I don't even want to debate why. Because as it was happening, people had real-time reasons why that all went out the window. Now, in retrospect, we can look back and go, oh, it's so obvious. But at the time, we had no idea what was going to happen. We didn't know if there was going to be stimulus, how much there would be. We didn't know how much of a recovery there would be. We had no idea that people would adapt. We had no idea how long it was going to be around. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that if you had said to yourself, well, we're not going to ever go back up, right? If you limited yourself like a young Brian Lund would have done, uh, you would have been wrong. But if you took the contrarian point, or if you at least kept your mind open and said, what if you would have got a good ride? And I got a decent ride. I remember after that first push, I wrote this post about how the bears are overstaying their welcome. And I caught a good chunk of it, but I wouldn't have caught that chunk five years earlier, certainly not 10 years earlier, because I would have been too close-minded. So what I'm trying to say is we could see some really bad stuff in the world. You know, it looks right now as I speak that we're maybe going to rally in the market and we'll get this little rise and everyone's going to go, okay, but what if that's just the calm before the storm? We really have a bad, you know, things go really bad, right? Don't count out the fact that that could be when the market goes higher. Not saying it will. I'm not saying a bet on it. I'm saying keep your mind open, follow those technicals, and say to yourself, what if? Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on, um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelunloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.